Hi, my name is Anne McElhenney. And I'm Phil McAleer. Welcome to the Anne and Phil Scoop Daily Virus, where we discuss the latest news views, advice and madness of the pandemic. It is Thursday, July the 30th, week 19 of the two-week Flatten the Curve lockdown. Right, Phil? Yes, uh, don't forget, it was, uh, this was to flatten the curve. Flatten the curve, remember that. Not crush the virus, not, not destroy everything, not... It was just so the ICUs wouldn't be overwhelmed. But now the government, because we gave them a little bit of power, have decided that that means they can actually, uh, that they're, 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 they're going to destroy the village to save the village. And it's early morning here in Los Angeles and we've just had an earthquake. Um, mm. At around five o'clock this morning, we just had an earthquake and we both felt that. Um, um, speak, basically, for, speak for yourself. Um, a 4.2 magnitude earthquake was experienced in San, the San Fernando Valley. Um, and apparently no early reports of significant damage. However, firefighters are patrolling the area. Um, and there was an aftershock at 3.3. We're a bit of a distance from the San Fernando Valley yes. here at the beach, but... Who needs an alarm clock? Who needs an alarm clock? So, what we got What would you have described that earthquake as this morning, Anna? A rumble, a short, sharp shock? I, I definitely noticed it, but it wasn't, I wouldn't, it wasn't one of the more significant ones. Oh, okay. What else are we talking about today, Philip? Schools need to reopen. Uh, we'll got a new at, study from Phil Kirpin yes. um, on that. He's been on the show. And we also have a very heart-rending story from the Lockdown Skeptic website where one of the, one of the readers of Lockdown Skeptics have, has written in with an incredible story. And Andrea Bocelli has had to apologise for having an opinion on the virus. Did he sing as an apology? And, you know, for us, very close to our hearts, it was, it was kind of inevitable, but eventually there is a cat and COVID story, and we bring you the startling... And look who's sitting behind us. I know. Top cat. And we then have an awkward tweet um, yeah, from Jake Tapper that did not age well. But I'm sure Jake will be looking at it in great detail going forward. So tell us about this study, Anna. So basically, Phil Kirpin and his group have, you know, just published a study looking at the impact of school closures and urging regions across the country to make sure that schools open and open quickly and soon. The CDC director, he's quote that one, the first quote in the, in the piece is from the CDC director, Dr. Robert Redfield, July um, 2020. The greater risk to our society is to have schools closed, um, Dr. Redf Redfield said. But also, the, not just him, you know, the American Academy of Pediatrics, which is the principal medical school society, excuse me, representing 67,000 pediatricians concluded that it is not safe for children to be denied full-time classroom instruction. And here's what they said. With the above principle in mind, the AAP strongly advocates that all policy considerations for the coming school year should start with a goal of having students physically present in school. So California yeah. needs to listen to that. The importance of in-person learning is well documented and there is already evidence of, a, of negative impacts on children because of school closures. Now, the, you know, through the study, and I would advise people to go and have a look at, um, have the, have a look at the study from, uh, from Phil Kirpin's group. Yeah. Um, and it's but, called, know, the group is called... And the group is the, called uh, the Committee um, to, unleash, to Unleash Prosperity. And, you can, and Phil Kirpin's... Uh, Twitter, Twitter is Ker at Kerpen. I think it's at Kerpen, yeah. K e r p e n. So basically, you know, and through through the study, they have a lot of they've pulled together an awful lot of very interesting information, including you know, and a few charts that are really worth worth looking at. Like, so COVID presents, you know, it's very interesting. You know, prevent presents a far lower risk to children. 
than the flu risk, mm -hmm. which we accept every year. And they have the numbers for that. So if yeah. anyone was looking for that, that's the place to get it um, in full Kirp and study. Yes, it's one of the one of the one of the nice. Not nice, but I mean, the children are no, children are not getting COVID. Yes, and they're not spreading, and they're not spreading it. Which by is the way. which is wonderful. Um, I mean, children do die of the flu every year. It's yeah. terrible. We, we we've all seen the stories. Um, and also, they have you know, in through the study, there's lots of disturbing information, like the fact that researchers from the University of Michigan and Florida State University found that in March and April of this year. An estimated, an estimated 212,500 allegations of child abuse went unreported because of school closures. And again, the numbers are very disturbing and they show that. I'm just showing Phil on the chart here, like really, mm -hmm. really disturbing. So of how allegations of child abuse just fell off the, off the charts. They, they wrote, course. our findings suggest that a vulnerable population, children at risk of maltreatment, are separated from a valuable resource when schools are closed. And this separation manifests as a reduction in maltreatment allegations. You know, just terrible. And then, um, and they go through, you know, they just go through all the different, you know, the impact of COVID-19 well, I mean, and the shutdown. Remember, do you remember that story schools? we did about, about LA? 32% of children in Los Angeles never logged on for one single online class. Yeah. Once the school ended, what was it, in March, that was the end of it. They never were taught again. I mean, what kind of homes are these people from? Uh, it's, 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 it's going to be a massive loss in education for, and you know, and of course you can imagine, though the people who didn't log on are not getting homeschooling, they're yeah. not getting home tutoring. Uh, unlike the people who did log on, probably they're getting supplementary education. And then even for those- uh, for, for people who claim to love or to hate inequality, yeah, this is they need to get people back in schools. And also this idea that, you know, that this um, uh, distant learning is, a, is any kind of substitute, even even if that was available, you know, the idea of children being isolated is a real problem. And uh, it's not just the loss in instruction, but there is a massive mental health, um, very, very worrying um, situation because of children being isolated and children not being at school. And uh, again, part of the last part of the study I just wanted to mention was in addition to the loss of instruction, they say full or partial school closures have substantial negative mental health consequences. Carol Burris, a, firmus, a former teacher and award-winning principal, explains why it's vital that schools find a safe way to open for their most vulnerable students. Combating truancy, school phobia, student depression and drug dependency were part of our everyday work. The tragedy of student suicide was not unknown to us. Some students needed help talking to parents about their pregnancy or support in leaving an abusive relationship. And then there were, there were students living with parents who themselves were unwell and on and on and on. But it's well worth, I would advise people to definitely um, have, a look, I mean, have a look at that. People are, people are just, are, by the way, are taking this into their own hands. I mean, if you go, if you go on even on next door, the yes. app, you yes. see people advertising themselves to teach pod classes. Correct. Uh, advertising themselves as tutors, yeah. people looking for tutors. Yes. So people are not waiting for the schools to reopen. And it was interesting after us having um, having our guest, Lindsay, talk about those pods. I just see, all I see now is being people talking about pods everywhere. The moment yeah. she mentioned it, it's like, it's, it's like everywhere now. Um, and as Phelan said, yeah, it's teachers offering themselves yeah. to run a pod and people, parents looking so this for is pods. So this is our daily virus, this is our daily program, but on our weekly, uh, the Alan Phelan Scoop, we in interviewed Lindsay from the, from the Heritage. Heritage Foundation, and uh, she was very clear about this, that people are 
people are taking it up themselves if, if, if the local education authorities are not reopening schools. So what's the, what's the Our next, next story? Well, this is, this is an incredibly sad story. There was uh, a reader of the Lockdown Skeptics website that we follow a lot, Toby, Toby Young's website, wrote to Toby Young with this story. And I just think we've heard, we've heard stories like this, but I think it's worth um, you know, highlighting that this is part of the nightmare of the situation of the lockdown. I don't know if this story is helpful, like the writer um, sends to you at all, but I work for a national cancer charity answering support calls. I had an extremely distressing call the other week from a 90-year-old lady whose 69-year-old daughter who was in a hospice due to her advanced cancer. The lady told me that she hadn't seen her daughter for months since lockdown was imposed and knowing her daughter didn't have long left, she drove to the hospice. So this is the 90-year-old drove to the hospice, desperate to see her, only to be refused at the front door Worse still, she said she was verbally reprimanded by the manager for trying to come in and told that she was putting herself and everyone else at risk. Her daughter died a few days later. She never got to say her goodbyes. On the phone to me, the lady was emotionally distraught, crying inconsolably. She also told me that she lives alone and had been self-isolating herself since February, which she has really struggled with as well. I've been supporting cancer patients for many years and never been lost for words, but on this occasion I was. I just felt so angry inside. The prevention of people being able to say goodbye to their loved ones is, for me, one of the most shockingly undercovered stories throughout this whole lockdown. I'm sure this is not a one-off. Um, I mean, I just think that's an, that's an incredibly sad story. And we do know, mm -hmm. um, we do know uh, that that story has been replicated all over the place yes. where people were prevented from seeing people in hospice, but also in, in, in old people's homes as well. Uh, uh, yeah, it's, it's, the, 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 um, it's, it's madness. It's absolute madness. And it's terrible that, that you, know, you can't make some kind of uh, way for a, a person to go in to say goodbye to their daughter in a hospice. I mean, you know, there's a lot of sick people there. It's, it's a way, there are ways of getting, they're yeah. bound to have procedures to get people in without seeing other people. Well, sunshine is a great disinfectant. I mean, you could have been, you know, you could you could have taken that person who was dying out in a wheelchair yep. into into a covered patio area. Uh, you know, you could have brought them outdoors for a while, even covered all up with blankets. You know, you can do things. Yeah, things yeah. can be done. But I think there's certain people, and we've noticed this, there seems to be, um, you know, and it's very disturbing, actually, to discover these people, in these grey suited people in grey rooms who seem to get a glee from imposing these rules that don't take into account humanity. Yeah. Um, talking of humanity, the humanity yeah. of it. Andrea. Andrew, Andrea Bocelli. Who is Andrea Bocelli? Well, he's a lovely singer now from Italy film. Yeah. And he's blind and uh, he's famous, you know, we famously remember Andrea Bocelli now because he, um, at Easter, came out and sang outside the Duomo uh, in Milan, you know, to the very, you know, dramatically empty piazza. Um, the Songs of Hope, I think, you know, because obviously they had, obviously it was important to suck out all the religion out of it. So called Songs of Hope. Um, but he's a wonderful um, tenor, I think is what you call it. Opera singer, excuse me. Yes. God between us and all harm. Italian opera singer. But he's come, he's, he's gotten himself into the news recently for, um, Criticism. You know, for having an opinion, sorry. For yeah. having an opinion. Yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. he, he said he, he, well, he, he went, I think he was in the Italian Senate, and he said he felt humili humiliated and offended by lockdown measures 
imposed in the country. He says, I could not leave the, con the, the house, you know, even though I had committed no crime. He was yeah. under house arrest. He also admitted to disobeying the lockdown rules. Um, and, you know, he, he, he really tore into his country for doing this uh, in such a way. And, uh, you, know, I, you know, he said he disobeyed lockdown rules because I did not think it was right or healthy to stay at home at my age. I am at a certain age, I need sun and vitamin D. And he, sa he said other citizens should refuse to follow the rules and said the, the, the outbreak had been overblown. So, of course, having an opinion like that is, uh, he said, let's refuse to, he should have called to arms, let's refuse to follow the rules. Can I do this? Let's refuse uh, to follow the rules. Let's read the books, move around, get to know each other, talk, dialogue. Um, I love those Italians, you know, let's move around to read a book, you know, talk, dialogue. I'm with him. I'm with him. Let's do it with that. And he also, of course, refers to the fact that he has an eight-year-old daughter himself. And it's unthinkable that these children will have to go to school divided by pieces of plexiglass and hidden behind a mask. Um, um, we totally agree with that. But, he, you know, he sort of said, he, you know, he said this and has now had to, I love that line though he had there, he, you know, one of, the, one of the best things he said was, it's unthinkable that schools were closed so quickly and with the same speed nightclubs were reopened where young people go not to learn but to disperse their brains. Um, I like that, to disperse their brains. Yeah, the translation of that particular one, I'm not sure. But either way, he has had to, you know, you know, to, he has had to apologize and say that his comments were misunderstood under, and saying, you know, that his foundation have been very helpful to people um, who have had the virus and all of that. But it just shows, you know, um, you know, somebody like Andrea Bocelli, much beloved around the world, you know, expresses an opinion that an awful lot of people share, by the way. Um, but of course, the um, the thought police, you know, interfere with him very quickly and get get him to you know to apologise for mm -hmm. for just of having course, for just having an opinion. Film. The next story we have is from the BBC, and this is just oh, uh, Top Cat is gone. And this is and we have a beautiful photograph here which you can't see of Patch. His name is Patch. Film. Tell me about Patch. Patch has tested positive for coronavirus. Reports the BBC. Yeah, and must be true. So yeah, a cat has tested positive in the UK for the strain of coronavirus. Experts say it's the first confirmed case in an animal in the UK. But does not mean the disease has been spread by to people by their pets. I would never believe that. Top and scaredy cat. Who, Is he still there? No, he's gone. He's gone. Funny. Once we started talking. Once we started talking about him, yeah. Um, it's thought the cat caught the coronavirus from its owner, who had previously tested positive. Both have now recovered. So let's hope. Let's hope that's it's a one-off. Let's and, hope it's a. It's and interestingly enough, by the way, for the BBC, who really have been um, loving their panic porn, they've actually said um, the, the BBC are saying that health officials stress the case is very rare and no cause for alarm. So don't be giving your don't be giving your cats a hard time. Yes. And then we have a a tweet that we've just found from Jake Tapper, which, by the way, dates from. February, February NB the 29th. NBC's Jake Tapper. Jake, NBC's Jake Tapper is talking about Dr. Fauci. And he said, most people, this is his tweet, most people who contract coronavirus experience a flu-like situation, Dr. Fauci says, and will be okay. That's correct. Mm -hmm. 15 to 20% of those who contracted will need hospitalization. I think that's mm, probably... That's a little bit too high now. Yeah, that's back in February. The vast majority of people who get into trouble are of advanced age and have had and or had previous underlying conditions. 
so there you go. That you know, what has changed? Uh, you know, um, nothing. But except for the doctor Fauci was very wrong about the number of people who would need hospitalizations. That's right. Um, uh, he was right about the fact that the vast majority of people who'd get into trouble. Ninety-nine you know, percent. Yeah, but it's, but again, like Dr. Fauci, you know, he um, he got a lot. Uh, he's you know he's had a lot of errors in you know his pronouncements. You know, yeah. he was he was against the masks. Then he was for the mask. Then he was against the mask. You know, he really can't. Yeah, but do you remember but, Fauci? Well, my, my one of them, I, 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 we used to go on some cruises. And the one that really sticks with me was Dr. Fauci saying, you can go on cruises. This was in February. You can go on cruises. Like, There's nothing worse you could do during the middle of this, I would say, than go on a cruise. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know? absolutely. And, and that was fairly obvious. But I think a lot of people are very, uh, you know, have, have run uh, afoul of, of Dr. Fauci's, you know, pronouncements. Because, you know, what, what happens is, you know, he's... We're meant to listen to him, and we're meant to follow him, and then mm. those photographs that have recently emerged from, you know, the, where, he, the where, he, where he, the baseball game, where he's sitting extremely close to two people who are not part of his family, apparently not part of his family, and he has the mask down underneath his chin, not covering either his mouth or his nose, and he's laughing and talking to the person beside him, and it's it's just it's it's infuriating, you know. But by yeah. the way, just before we finish up, I just wanted to, I, I want to have a quick look at the Johns Hopkins numbers, and again for people who want to look at hard data and try and work out exactly how bad things are wherever you are, it's really good to go to the Johns, Hop to go to Johns Hopkins Resort Coronavirus Resource Center um, and just realize the gap between the truth of what's actually happening and um, how the media are reporting this, you know, and they continue, the media continue to report and they're now getting record number of cases. Oh, America, Amer but America is the worst place ever, and that story is being reported everywhere. And I think it's important to just look again. Two things we look at very quickly before we finish. You know, deaths per million of the population, and again, the top of that list is San Marino. You know, which is a not, you know that's a, that's an odd an odd an oddity. But Belgium, basically number one. Belgium has the highest number of deaths. Um, per per, per 100,000 100, of the population. Then the United Kingdom, then Andorra, then Spain, Peru, Italy, Sweden, Chile, then the United States, then France, then Brazil, then Ireland. Um, but case fatality, I think, is a very important metric as well. Very, very important metric, um, which is... Of the, and so, because if the cases matter, right? So they mat they, they're mentioning the cases all the time, this huge, massive number of cases. Um, well, how many of the cases, how many of the people who have a case end up dying. Um, and if you look at that, obviously in some places it's terrible. Like in the United Kingdom, it's 15% of the cases end, of, end, end in a fatality. In Belgium, 14%. Italy, 14%. France, 13%. And you can go on down all the list. The down, Hungary, the Netherlands, down. Mexico, Chad, Sweden, Ireland, Ecuador, Sudan, right. Switzerland. Go on, go on, go on, Philip. Down, down, down. Yeah, and you'll eventually find the United States at 3.4%. Of the people who um, you know who are of of the cases end up in a fatality, so yeah. it's actually a very low but, number. But I think the, the significant thing to remember is that what what allowed the virus to catch on in Europe, what allowed the virus to catch on in New York and uh, and other parts of the USA was China lied and people died. China was. And with their with their lackeys in the World Health Organization, who they bought and paid for their fellow communists, uh, and I don't I'm not using that casually. The guy who, that they appointed was an actual former communist. The guy that they appointed to what? The World Health Organization. 
was, uh, is an actual communist uh, who was in the Indonesian government as a communist. And they, they worked together and underplayed and lied about the effects of the coronavirus. The Chinese lied, people died. You know, this is, these are not our friends. And you know, this could have been mitigated. We, if we had known what the Chinese knew, what the Chinese did uh, to, to stop the spread of this disease, the spread could have been handled a lot better. Uh, and you know, we, we could have known about people in, in, in homes. And maybe Cuomo might not have sentenced almost 10,000 people to death uh, by sending infected people back into nursing homes. Now, very interesting about Cuomo, he says it was 6,000. What, what, what the New York people are doing, what the New York authorities are doing, unlike everywhere else, they're not counting people who, who caught the infection in old people's home but died in hospital. Uh, it, the Chinese, we have to always remember, uh, this is a tragedy, this, this virus, and we always have to remember who is responsible for allowing it to get a foothold yes. in the United States. And everywhere else. And everywhere else. Yeah. And that is China. Yeah. And, they, and, and as you said, they lied. And, it, and it's not like it's the first time they did it. They lied before. They lied um, it, with the SARS, um, the original SARS, a few years ago. They lied. They allowed their own people to die, by the way. They're quite happy for their own people to die. Um, and this is who they are. And they're, you know, this is the Communist Party. This is the Chinese Communist Party, yeah. you know. Um, don't expect any favours from them. But we've come to the end of the show today. Um, we will not have a show, as we said before, on a Friday because we have a big secret project we're working on. Yes. But, um, but we look forward to seeing you on Monday. Stay well. Stay safe. Um, try not to go completely off your head because it's, it's really awful the way people are behaving now. We noticed that yesterday on the beach. You know, yeah. on the beach, hardly anyone there. Really cold here, by the way. Really weird weather. It was like, what was it? It was 60 degrees on the beach here yesterday evening. Um, and we're walking along, you know, and as and obviously with that temperature, there's not that many people out. And people are, you know, coming with their masks and they're, and they're putting masks up against their face and they're putting their hands up against their face so that they, you know, that they'll yeah. be spared, spared the wrath of us, you know. But anyway, wherever you are, uh, we hope you have a fabulous weekend and we'll see you on Monday. Bye.